<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And now, are you effing kidding me? With JoJo from Juries. Marjorie Taylor Green is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Batshit crazy. I know. I probably shouldn't sugarcoat it. But here's the thing. While we already know that Gaspacho Police, Peach Tree Dish, Jewish Forest Fire Starting Space Lasers makes Brad Pitt and 12 Monkeys look downright stable, it seems like she's getting worse. And it's not just the crazy, she's getting more desperate to defend the honor of her rotting gourd god, all while at the same time stomping her feet and jumping up and down and saying, look at me, look at me, I got Biden, we got Biden. And that's always, always followed by a hell of a lot of allegedly's and supposedly's. And while we don't have the actual proof yet, a friend of a friend of a guy who once bought a goldfish from the pet store around the corner from Hunter Biden said, yeah, they've got him now. The truth is with each and every indictment of Donald Trump that is based in facts and evidence and is extremely and extensively well vetted, we can expect the Chaos Caucus to dial up the crazy every time. That is when uh, Sporkfoot isn't slinging little bitch insults on the floor of the United States House of Representatives. Look, I've been there. I had the wonderful privilege of being able to stand on that floor. And I was so overwhelmed with my reverence for the place and for what has transpired there and for what will transpire there in the future. And to see two trashy chicks catfighting over who gets to introduce sham articles of impeachment and who doesn't, it's just gross. And frankly, it's an embarrassment. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling, and we talked about a myriad of things, not least of which is the degradation of our institutions under Republican control. Marge and her constant crap is the perfect example. But of course... The ultimate example is Donald J. Trump. We talked about Trump, the documents case, Ukraine, and much, much more. It's a great conversation, one I thoroughly enjoyed having. Check it out. So my guest this week is Lieutenant Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's great to be with you, Joe. I have been following you for a very long time, um, both on social media and, you know, your, you know, discussions on cable news. And I have a million things that I want to talk to you about. I'm okay. going to try and get to them as much as possible. But as he so often does, Donald Trump has once again inserted himself basically at the top of the news story today. I don't know if you saw the interview he did on Fox that aired last night. So... <laughs> Crazy, right? Basically, in that interview, he all he ad- admitted that he had essentially refused to give back the classified documents that were interspersed among what he said are his personal belongings. And one of the documents that he was asked about specifically had to do with the Iran attack plan and General Milley. So my question, I guess, is if, let's say, what the indictment alleges was in the documents that he retained is is true. Information on U.S. nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities on the U.S. and its allies to a military attack. How imperiled would we be as a country should that information have, if it hasn't already, fall yeah. into the wrong hands? Yeah, what I'd say is, first of all, in each classification of, of sensitive documents from classified to secret to top secret to all of the human, the HCI, the the code word, the kinds of things that were found in all of that document tranche, each one of them has literally a definition 
for what they can contribute to danger for the United States. Uh, grave danger, danger. I mean, it, it goes in, in increments. Um, what I would suspect, I mean, everybody's been calling the, the uh, document he was allegedly waving around the Iranian war plans. Having once been the guy who kept uh, custody of all of the U.S. contingency plans, or what some people would call war plans, uh, he wasn't waving a war plan around because a war plan usually comes in a binder about that thick with a bunch of different annexes and things. What I suspect, and this is just a guess, was this a was this was a correspondence between sec uh, Chairman Milley to him about various aspects of a potential operation uh, against Iran. So it was probably something that General Milley was either asked to provide or that he provided to try and get President Trump to change his mind about something he had ordered. So it was classified documentation, uh, certainly at a secret or a top secret level, depending on what kind of sources or collection methods uh, were proving the point that General Milley was trying to make. So the bottom line, Joe, is yeah, they were pretty serious. Yeah, they contained the nation's secrets. Yes, if they had been divulged to other people, uh, both US citizens or friends, allied friends or foes, it shows you know, the conversation, a written conversation between the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, the guy that actually performs uh, the responsibility for informing both the president and the secretary of defense about military actions. So it's, you know, giving up that kind of conversation to people that shouldn't be privy to it. That's a long answer uh, to your question, which was really, I could have answered by saying, yes, it was very <laughs> dangerous and very horrible that he would show this to other people or wave it around as if, as if it was something that was his personal possession. Right, and not not that I would ever really encourage anybody to try and get in Donald Trump's mind because that is a very dark place, probably very lonely place. But if you were to try to guess why, knowing a little bit about Donald Trump, why he would hold on to those specific documents and why he would have felt compelled to share the contents of those specific documents with Mark Meadows biographers. I mean, what would you speculate maybe would be the reason? Well, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I am yeah. someone that studies leadership. And mm -hmm. sometimes when you see uh, various forms of leaders doing things, it's an indicator of either their toxicity or their insecurity or their narcissism. So if you have someone who's waving around a document and telling whoever he was telling, if it was members of a pre the press or someone writing a book, see here, I've got this proof that General Milley was the one that started all this. It, it really gives me an indicator that he's very insecure and trying to push blame on someone else, maybe even in a case where blame wasn't deserved. This was just a correspondence between the chairman and the president about the potential for military action. So when you're using documents to prove how great you are or how bad someone else is, it's just a very poor form of leadership. But haven't we known from the very beginning that President Trump didn't really have a whole lot of the kind of leadership qualities that we expect in someone that's governing a nation? No, sometimes it's actually mind boggling. Like I'm constant, I have to almost scrap like, pinch myself and think like, this actually happened, that this person was actually given the awesome powers he was given. But get, getting back to his insecurities, um, one of the things he did last night in that interview, in addition to all the other crazy, was, of course, he went after General Milley and insulted him again and said something about his incompetence, that he wouldn't have a document. He never saw a document with his name on it because he was utterly incompetent. And it's it's one of those things that he has done for so long, where he disparages the military. He especially goes after, you know, those in leadership positions, Mattis, Clark, McMaster, Milley, you. Um, and for a person who, you know, was drafted five times and, you know, has never served and has 
a past um, or a regular habit of dishonoring the military. Um, what do you think, you know, how is it possible that he is able to convince his supporters with all of that, like fighting with Gold Star families, attacking John McCain for being captured? How is it that he is able to convince his voters that he somehow supports the military? Got me. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's no answer to that. And, and what's fascinating, Joe, is all the people you named other than me in that last list, it's the same thing uh, Brett Baer did to him last night, was saying, hey, you said you were only going to pick all the best people. He picked Mattis, Millie, McMaster, and in some cases against the better advice of others. I mean, Millie was not Mattis's first choice to be the chairman. Mattis pro uh, provided the name of someone else, and there were those that influenced uh, President Trump, former President Trump, to pick Millie. Uh, because they thought he would go more along with what he wanted. Here's the interesting thing. You know, I don't think uh, uh, the former president ever figured out <clears throat> that there are actually some people, when they raise their hand to support and defend the Constitution, actually mean it, as right. opposed to it being just pro forma. What you're dealing with with guys like Kelly and Mattis and Milley are guys who have spent 30 plus years. I've spent 38, they've spent even longer than I did serving the nation, defending the constitution. And when you're asked to do something as a personal favor, that's not what the military does. Uh, you know, it was interesting. One of the things I've told the story a couple of times when I was commanding in Europe uh, and going around to different countries, I had kind of a personal project that I was working on where I wanted to see uh, what, different armies swore their oath of allegiance to. And what's fascinating is most countries swear to defend the president or the motherland or the fatherland. We are the only nation in the world, or at least the only nation in NATO, that says we defend a piece of paper, mm -hmm. a set of ideas and ideals. And that's not something that I think uh, many in government, uh, especially former president, really take seriously. Uh, but Guys like Millie and Mattis and Kelly and McMaster have spent decades doing exactly that under presidents from both sides of the aisle. So it is really country first as opposed to individual first. And former President Trump never got that. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. always Trump first like it's the, the height of irony that you know his slogan is America first when it's it's not it's Trump first and right. another reason that you know he so often disparages mocks insults the military is because it, I think it deeply offends him that the military exists by a code by a code of conduct by a code of ethics that they're held to a standard that they have to follow rules those are things that he is so clearly not capable of doing and feels as though he shouldn't have to, that those are for other people. Those are for peasants, you know, the average Joe, he's above and beyond them. And so how, you know, it, he, the suckers and losers thing that he allegedly, but not so allegedly said, you know, about the fallen heroes of war, it makes sense to me that he would, it's totally plausible that he would say that because he doesn't see 
you know, what you were talking about in terms of, you know, swearing an oath to a piece of paper to a set of ideals. He doesn't see that as a sign of strength. He sees that as a sign of weakness, because if you can't bypass the system in some way to get ahead, then you're just a chump. I mean, that kind of speaks to his whole mentality. And it, it, you know, it's confounding. One, one, it is confounding. And one of the things that that John Kelly uh, reported, or others reported, I guess, during Mr. Trump's first visit to Arlington, was a seeming confusion of why did these men and women do this? You know, why did they give their life for their country? He, he could not comprehend that. Uh, you know, the, the fact that there is selfless service and sacrifice for a greater cause at times um, I, I don't think he really understood that if it's not about money or if it's not about power, why are you doing it in the first place? Uh, right. And that's what's confusing. But but I, I just keep going back. The interesting piece, I, the most interesting piece after watching the, the Bear interview with him yesterday was the one segment where Brett Bear named all of the people he appointed to various positions. Right. Uh, and they were all suckers and losers because now they were the best people before but now they've turned against him and are actually truthful in the things that they're saying about what they do and not only is it just violating ideas are deflecting which is a key element of being a narcissist there are a lot of criminal activities in there too and i'm just i'm just not talking about the documents we have seen from the very beginning that that there have been many uh, on parts of the government who have not been willing to say, no, you can't do that. That's a crime. And it even started during the campaign when he was talking about killing terrorist families and taking oil from a foreign country. Those are war crimes, mm -hmm. things that people get put away for. And, and in fact, I'm very proud of the fact, you probably may not know this, uh, but I think I was actually the first general that Mr. Trump said he was smarter than during a, a CNN interview. I, I'm serious. It was the first time I heard him use that phrase, and it was directed toward me because I said you can't go into a foreign country and steal steal their oil and you know kill their the terrorist families. You just can't do that. And he yeah. said, "Well, then I'm smarter than this general you got." Okay, um, <laughs> you quite got a it. distinction. Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 you know, that's going to be the first line of my my. Uh, <laughs> My obituary, I guess. But that's the thing to your point. Along the line, there have been so many people that have accommodated him and moved the line for him, compromised themselves for him. And I think it was James Comey who said that, you know, he he eats people up in little bites. He consumes people whole, you know, event, like he corrupts people. And people just are willing to do his bidding, despite what, you know, in so many cases, despite oaths that they have sworn to. Um, and that is terrifying when you're talking about a person who held the power he had and a person who is now, as we speak, the front runner for the very same office, one which he tried to plot a coup and incited an insurrection to stay in. Um, and so after all of these people who's the best people he's hired and now like obviously has no positive relationship with who's left that he could possibly be surrounded with that isn't already demonstrated that they are completely and eagerly willing to do whatever evil bidding he wants them to do well there <laughs> i would say if we we look inside congress there were probably a few that still continue to hold on to his uh to his approach and want to support him because they have been public about it. Mm -hmm. uh, they've signed documents supporting him. The, you know, all the congressmen that signed on to the Texas uh, Supreme Court document during the election are those that are still saying that the, the election is is uh, you know fraudulent. Even two years later, I mean, those are indicators of some people that that might continue to support. But it's just it's just. It's strange to me, Joe. I, I don't understand it. If I can say something, it, it's fascinating because, um, you know, I first started working for uh, CNN in 2014, right after I retired, when they asked me to come and be a military analyst. And my entire intent when I started 
performing that duty was to inform the American public about the, what the military does. And one of the things about professional the professional military is that you are apolitical. You don't choose sides, either Democrat or Republican. You stay in the middle and you just, you know, it's like just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Mm -hmm. uh, and I tried that for so long until Mr. Trump came along and I was put in positions, uh, a position by many of the anchors to comment on things that he said. And I personally had to make a risk assessment and a choice between standing up for what I believe are the ideals of our constitution and how this individual was lying and suggesting criminal activity and doing things that violated that constitution. And in the process of doing that, there, were, there are some that would say, I violated that pledge for civilian authority over the military by speaking up against someone like this. That's a tough position to hold, but when you see someone who is damaging our institutions to a degree by either uh, telling lies about the military or the court system or the FBI or whoever he happened to be telling lies about on a daily basis and degrading our institutions, and then later on mocking uh, some of the things that we saw this guy mock, and then now stealing documents and and allegedly being con a contributor to seditious activity, we'll find that out later on. You, you can't keep quiet about that. I mean, you have to speak up on that if you're truly someone that believes in who we are as a people and as a nation. Right. And I remember at that time watching in real time and thinking, this has to be incredibly challenging and difficult for people like you because of what you just said that wasn't a position you were used to familiar with felt comfortable in felt was right as an extension of your title and your job and the responsibility that comes with that but with him i have found time and time again that extraordinary circumstances like he brings to the forefront require extraordinary responses and in your position those kinds of that kind of commentary was required of you. It's actually, in my opinion, far more patriotic to speak up and say, look, this isn't what I would normally do in this scenario. This isn't something I feel personally tasked with. This is something that I signed up for. But as an extension of my duty in the you know capacity that I hold, I have to stand up and speak out. And I, I cannot imagine I, I walking in your shoes and having to, to go through that while also witnessing this person who's the commander in chief, you know, attacking the very notion of all the things you represent and, and so brazenly doing that. And so undeservedly doing that, not that anyone would, but I mean, I watched that and I thought, because, and, and I was going to get to this because this is a sort of personal pivot a little bit because I come from a military family. I have been surrounded by the military since I was born. My dad was an army reservist, lifetime working for the Department of Defense. My, I have a sister and two brother-in-laws who are army, a brother who was a Marine. I have a sister who flew after 9-11 in the Air Force uh, and did bombing runs over Tora Bora. I, I've been surrounded by military bases. I've been to any number of you know ceremonies and i have the deepest most profound respect and admiration for the troops so it's a two part question because there's one part of that question that's personal to me because you stood up and you spoke out where you saw wrongs that were clear but i have family members who who served who support him despite all of this despite all of that and i just don't understand it so that's yeah. my first question. How does that happen? Uh, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how it happens. I mean, I'm so dumbfounded by a lot of the things that we've watched over the last couple of years, according to this individual and many that are like him, by the way. And we can talk about that in a second too. But, but for me, you know, I, I was involved in, in several projects that looked at uh, the army's values. Uh, you know, what we train our basic trainees to believe as soon as they become part of the force. And this is a relatively recent 
uh, kind of thing. It, 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 you know, the chief of staff of the army dictated these, what he thought were the seven army values back in the 90s. And we've since kind of continued to play on them. And they are loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. You can remember those sevens because the acronyms spell out leadership. But the, the ones of personal courage, stand up and speak for what is right, maintain your integrity, selflessly serve the nation. I mean, I, I take all of these very, duty, as you said before, I take all of them very seriously. And, you know, we can, we can talk to politicians about different ideologies or policies or plans or how they view the world. That's one thing. Fine. Let's have those kind of discussions because pulling together both sides of the aisle on that should make a better country. But that's not what's been happening lately. It's become more of a power trip, a money trip, and it's my way or nothing. And that's contrary to what we should be believing as a nation. So I, I don't know how to account because truthfully, I have relatives in the same situation that you do. And when I have conversations with them, they, they, they seem to go against, you know, Aristotle had the logos, pathos, and ethos, you know, logic, passion, and reason. Uh, people have tended to throw away the logic and the reason and only focused on the passion based on opinions that aren't based on fact. And I think that's where we're, we're faltering today. Uh, you know, and I, I wanted to, to transition a little bit to the so-called instances of other politicians, not just Mr. Trump, claiming that the military is horrible today and it's going downhill and they're woke. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's hurting the institution uh, because what the military does is try and build uh, teams that are that are that complement one each other each other and that are that are contributing to the greater whole and by having folks throw out these terms and these slanders it only does things that destroy and that's what we see ourselves in right now one part of our dynamic is folks that want to build the future of our country the other one wants to continue to tear it down by insulting or saying how bad things are. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't answer your question, Joe, and, and it's a good question. Why are there people out there who won't have a conversation uh, tinged with civility and respect? It doesn't make sense to me. No, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It has confounded me for a long time, particularly and especially as it results to this I mean, as it uh, pertains to this question about the military, because it's it's just, and I'm a civilian. I never served. I knew uh, I was not cut up for service. Yeah. I'm not the kind of person who's especially good at following rules. I knew that about myself, but it didn't diminish my support for the military. Well, but, but let me inject something here. Isn't it interesting? The majority of people that are claiming the military is horrible and they're all woke and things are, the major, the vast majority have never served either. I, I don't think you see a whole lot of people who have actually served in the military saying that it's woke. There's a few, uh, yeah. there's a few, but not many. Well, for the probably for the reasons you described, because no matter what they think politically, they know that dismantling or harming the institution as a whole is not something that they would ever want. It, it's absolutely contradictory to what every message that they've ever received and, and delivered right. about the institution itself. And you're right. Like we look at the Trumps, for instance, a family who have never known a day of service in any of their lives. And like I said, again, five times drafted for Donald Trump, none of his children ever served. I don't think anyone in his family ever served. Um, these are people who are quick to criticize because they have never walked a day in those shoes. But it's also interesting to me, and I was gonna get to this as the second part of this question because it's, and maybe you don't have an answer for it, I don't know, because I, I can't figure it out either. It's Again, speaking just from a personal place here, because of the deep respect that I have for the military and the, the life I the lifetime I've been surrounded by it, what has always driven me crazy is that the right has somehow co-opted this idea that they are the ones who support the military, right? They that they have actually co-opted the flag. And I fly an American flag outside my home. I have for as long as I can remember. And again, I support the military. I have for my entire life. But it just 
when you're talking with particularly about people who've never served, this idea that someone like me doesn't have any respect for the men and women in uniform, when you have Republicans out there voting against legislation to provide health care for toxic burn pit survivors, yeah. it's just, I don't understand, where's the messaging issue here? Like, how do we reframe it so that that's more accurate? Because that's just not an accurate representation. No, it's not. It certainly isn't. And I mean, I think we could tick off across the board. Uh, now, not supporting, in, in my view, not supporting a piece of legislation. Um, it, there, there are various reasons for not doing that. But truthfully, it does seem like the ones who are saying law and order, support the military, et cetera, et cetera, are the ones that seem to be vilifying all of those same institutions they claim they support. And that doesn't make sense to me. No, and you, you see it from the military perspective, and then you see this sort of double standard that they make when they say they back the blue, and yet they advocated for the attack on our Capitol Police and right. still to this day want the release of those being persecuted for those attacks. And it's it really does just smack of hypocrisy on its face. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up the the uh, interview as the major item in the news today, but there was also another major item, and that was the report in the Washington Post uh, by Carol Leonard uh, on the uh, uh, slowness, let's put it that way, of the Justice Department to do something about uh, senior actions during the January 6th. Okay. To me, that's not a damning of the entire Justice Department. It is an indicator that something may not have been done the right way by a few individuals, or people made decisions that were perhaps flawed. Uh, and in those cases, whether it's the military, the Justice Department, the FBI, the CIA, name the institution, I don't care which one it is, you say, okay, we've got a problem here. Let's take a, let's take a civil look at this and see what caused it and how to fix it. Um, but that's not what we do. There, there are some on both sides, well, there are some primarily on one side of the aisle that will say, destroy that entire institution, you know, do away with the FBI. Hell, we got a senator right hmm. now, Tuberville, who's, who's oh. destroying the military by not allowing people to assume positions because he doesn't like one thing the Secretary of Defense is doing. Seriously, Are you mm -hmm. kidding me? That, that's someone that backs the military right there. Yeah, let's let's destroy and really cause chaos inside the institution just because you want to make a point with the Secretary of Defense. It's just horrid. Talking about the weaponization of government, right? Like we have senators right. who are using the levers of power to punish people for positions they don't like. Because, I mean, that is, again, that is exactly what they're accusing the Department of Justice and the Biden administration of doing. When they're at, when they're the ones actually doing it, right? They're but they're only doing that when they're not writing a book about manhood or what makes <laughs> manliness correct. You know, and don't even get me started on Tuberville because <laughs> I I have often said that I think that the dumb and evil bench in the Republican Party is is deep as fuck. <laughs> Pardon my French, but he might actually consistently earn that top prize because. You know, no offense to stupid people, but Tuberville, really, I mean, I guess he was a good coach. I'm going to give him that. But uh, as far as everything else goes, it's it's really it's unbelievable. Um, And I want to just touch on because I wasn't going to talk about that, that that report, especially about the Department of Justice and some of their slowness. And I agree with you. I think that it's easy for us to all armchair and say, oh, my God. This, these are crazy mistakes. Impeach, remove, have them fired. You know, Garland needs to go. Chris Ray needs to go. And it's like every institution has had to, I think, learn where the fissures are because Donald Trump keeps coming in and exposing these cracks that they may not have known existed because no one has ever before come into an office and tried to expose them. So yeah. it's like... I get it. Every institution is going to make mistakes. They're all going to evolve and grow. And yes, I am disappointed that it feels like the Department of Justice made political considerations while trying to look not political when it came to Donald Trump in January 6th. But I think that it's very hot headed 
and not realistic or reasonable of us to be reactionary to the point of firing, mass firing people. I think that it really does speak more to what Donald Trump has forced these institutions to do, to accommodate the weight that they have to carry without succumbing. You know what I mean? I just see yeah. this cartoon all the time when it's something about the Department of Justice. And it's, you know, it's this scaffolding or something trying to hold up the idea of justice and Trump and Barr at that time, you know, pushing down on it. And that's sort of what it feels like, particularly with January 6th. You know, it's like these are extraordinary times. He's an, he's an extraordinarily damaging and undermining and democracy destabilizing things. And they're all going to have to find their footing with these extraordinary circumstances. They may not have anticipated them having to do. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. just to continue that conversation, when you're talking about uh, holding people accountable, it, it very easily rolls off your tongue. Yes, law and order, hold people accountable, no one's above the law. But seriously, when you're in a position where the person you, you're dealing with is a former president, you better have your act together really well. And that may take a little bit more time. I'm not making excuses for it because it seemed to take too much time in my view, but you do understand, I mean, today we're talking about the interview with Trump and documents and the Justice Department. Let's go back two years and look how the, the entire institution of the medical profession was disrupted yeah. by a people, by a group of people that know absolutely nothing about medicine. And yet they've, they've damaged the reputation of those who have given their lifetime to keeping America safe and healthy. It, it, it's just, it's sad in my view. And and it, and by the way, that's still continuing today with the craziness between Rogan and RFK and, and Dr. Hotez, which is- I mean, so, sometimes I actually think to myself, we live in a time of extraordinary access to information, to facts, right? And yet it's the stupidest time to be alive in the history of the world. And I just want to even like 10, gentle to that, to go back to this idea that they had to make sure that their T's were crossed and their I's were dotted with ever coming for Donald Trump in any legal capacity. They had to, you're right, 100%. They had to be very deliberate and sure. Jack Smith puts together one of the most comprehensive indictments with all the receipts and photographs and, and audio recordings and admissions and his own lawyers testifying essentially against him and all of that, that huge swath of, of facts. And despite it, what are people saying on the other side of the aisle? Fake news. It's right. a hoax. Two-tiered justice system. So, so it's interesting because Jack Smith did come to the table with this incredible, you know, uh, document this indictment that is just they've said one of the most I mean, bill Barr said it's incredible which by the way if i can inject this it's probably only about 10 percent of what they have right. and it's still masterful go ahead i'm sorry but the thing is i mean there was there was always going to be some percentage particularly of his base that wasn't going to believe and chooses not to believe and did so with COVID. also going back to that point facts truth and the fact that Trump in a few short years has been able to dismantle that notion, the notion that truth exists, that facts, facts exist, 
you know, it's really imperiling for our country because that's exactly the most fertile feeding ground for fascism. Because right. if you can, you know, Orwell said, you know, powers and tearing people's minds apart and rebuilding them, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, in your own making. You know, if, if, if he could make people believe the big lie, you know, it was always a test balloon. And that's what you see here if he, with the indictment and with COVID. If he can make people believe that this incredibly well-vetted document is fake news or it's a hoax or that he actually won an election that he lost, which he said in that interview again last night, <laughs> that he actually won. Yeah, he was adamant about that, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, which which was interesting because it was kind of eye-opening for me because for, for a really long time, I've been like, he just says this rote thing that he doesn't actually fundamentally believe. I mean, he's crazy. He's a narcissist, but he knows he lost. I mean, I've heard him say things to that effect, but last night I was kind of like, hmm, he really thinks, like, I think he's a little crazier than I thought. Well, I mean, there was a there was an analyst who I think tongue in cheek, but there was more truth to it than possibly he meant in saying that he realized after the interview last night what the former president's defense is going to be, and it's going to be temporary insanity or complete insanity. And th that's the only thing I can think of providing support for what he's been doing lately. Um, yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I mean, it. But it's sad because it sort of discounts or at least eliminates the whole idea that he's also, you know, malevolent. You know, yeah. he's an ill-meaning creature. He, I believe he means to do harm, um, but only in the cases that it benefits himself in some right. way. Because you know, he's self-consumed. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it was interesting. You just triggered a thought. Uh, back in 2012, I was in the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia. And you do that uh, Georgian country girl so well in some of your- Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was in the country of Georgia and I was being escorted around by one of the Georgian military uh, folks. And I noticed that there were a lot of new police stations all around the city of Tbilisi. And they, they were all designed the same way. They all were, the, the front of the police stations were completely, uh, were complete glass. There was no bricks, you know, the bricks will hold up, but it was all glass compared to the old stations that we passed by. And I just noticed this and I asked the guy about it. And he said, well, that's our new government trying to show that they're transparent in the rule of law. And in the past, you never know, you never knew what would happen inside the police station when someone was arrested. So now all our stations have glass fronts. And it's a, it was an interesting commentary on a former authoritarian dictator coming around to more of a democratic republic. Uh, and unfortunately, it, that's failed somewhat in Georgia. But I think we need a whole lot more glass buildings to see what people are doing in, in our society today uh, to give that transparency. But you're exactly right. Yeah, and I agree with you 100%. And it's interesting just to pick up on that before we pivot for us a moment to Ukraine. But that's that's the antithesis of what Donald Trump has always been sort of working towards. Everything is shrouded in um, mystery or, you know, how long did it take to get his taxes, which weren't even really. Yeah, they were right. incriminating. But like, I mean, so much of his transcripts with the Putin one-on-one uh, -on -one that we never, ever did get to see, um, so much of his presidency was sort of shrouded in mystery. And in that darkness, democracy dies, right? That's right. that's the truth. And um, it's, it's, it's a metaphor. <laughs> he was trying to hide our... Yeah most closely guarded national security secrets in his chandelier shitter. Like it's, I mean, talking about democracy dying in dark darkness, it was gonna die in his bathroom potentially. Yeah. And yeah. like, it's, it's shocking. It's shocking that those words, it sounds like Mad Libs, right? Or like you, or like you were to shake like a ball of like different words, disassociated words and be like, Donald Trump kept boxes of classified secrets in his chandelier bathroom. Those would be words you would never put together but this is the time we occupy. Let me let me ask you this question. Just I'm taking an informal survey here. Okay. So if, if you had been, I know this would never happen, but if you had been a vacationer at Mar-a-Lago and you happened to go into a bathroom or you were in that that uh, grand ballroom with all the boxes on the stage 
and you were there with a group of other people and you knew that those were boxes from the Trump administration and they didn't have any seals or locks on them. Would you, Jojo, would you have gone up to one of them and just kind of taken a peek inside? Because I know I would have. I mean, look, sometimes, and don't tell anybody, nobody tell anybody. When I go to somebody's party at like their house or whatever, and like, oh, maybe I had a couple drinks and I'm in the bathroom. And I'm just like, I wonder what's behind the shower curtain <laughs> or like, I wonder what's in the drawer or in the medicine yeah. cabinet. Yeah, I didn't, I never said that out loud. So I'm sure no one will see that. But who wouldn't? do that like we could all be the most you know well-meaning moral christians on the planet yeah. but you're talking about it's just too tempting and yeah i mean it's crazy to me just how exposed those things were just how disregarded i talked about this with george conway too it's the brazen disregard and that's not just a disregard for a pile of boxes it's a disregard for me for my kids for you, for your family, for all of our loved ones, for the people who send him their money every right. month. It's a disregard for all of us because God knows if somebody, and we've already seen spies infiltrate Mar-a-Lago, if somebody wanted to use that information to do us immediate irreparable harm, they could. And that to me is the greatest disrespect of all of this, is that even the people who support him the most, he puts in harm's way. Yeah, here's here's the thing. If I can use an example of the documents again, as you read down the list of the documents that were in the indictment, there were a couple that had their classification redacted. Um, and that probably doesn't mean a whole lot because we've seen so many redacted documents. But to me, if you can't put secret, top secret HCI, no foreign, all the codes that us military guys know about on the top or on a list, and it says title redacted, that tells me one thing. And it tells me that that was a code word document. And not to get too deep into the, the weeds, but there are literally hundreds of programs that are code worded uh, that you have to be read in on because you use them. So having been read in on a couple of code word documents or uh, uh, categories of documents, I know what they contain. And to know that there were some of those, and I mean, even the secret and the classify, or excuse me, not classified, confidential. I said classified earlier, I meant confidential. Confidential, secret, top secret, all the other categories. Even as those give real uh, challenges to the security of the United States, when you're talking code word, those are game changers. Those are things that are being used today. And I know what I had to do. I mean, as the commanding general of US Army Europe, I had a lieutenant or a warrant officer come to my office every day with a, with a briefcase handcuffed to their wrist where they would allow me to read the overnight intelligence summaries. When I had to view code word stuff for a specific reason, they wouldn't even bring it to my office. I had to get up and go over to the the G2 section, we called it, the intelligence section, into a special room that had multiple locks with just me and the person that managed the program in there. And there was no one else in my division, the First Armored Division or in US Army Europe, who knew what that code word was all about. That's how secretive this stuff is. And to just have that thrown in with your alleged golf shirts and your WWE belt and those kind of things. That is why when you've seen both sides of this, Joe, that's why it is so infuriating because of what you just said. These are secrets that are kept for our national security. They're kept for a reason. They are contributed. They are put together by people who are really smart so that strategic leaders like the president or like generals can make key decisions on the behalf of the country. They are not your documents. <laughs> they are not his. They are not his boxes. They are property of the United States government for a specific reason. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It's interesting to me um, because what we know about Donald Trump is that he's not necessarily an astute planner. George Conway says that's the the sociopathy about him, Um, that he may have just taken stuff you know, that he just wanted all the stuff and he didn't have a specific plan with it. But he didn't really, in my opinion anyway, just take these things, the documents you were just talking about, just the level of secrecy related to that document. He wasn't just taking it as a trophy. He wasn't planning on just opening a box in the bathroom one day and like, you know, sitting there with some reading material. Who knows? Like, we just don't know. What we do know and we can surmise is that Donald Trump is the kind of person, as we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, who would put himself first over anything and anyone, even our country, America first, right? Not so much. So we don't know why he would ever want a document that super secret. We don't know, but we can guess, you know what I mean? Like he probably, if approached by one of our not so friendlies, would say, oh, there's a benefit to me here in giving this to you? Sure, take it. Well, and what would, why would anyone think he wouldn't? Or he's using them so he can insult other people like he did with General Milley. Right. See this? This is this right. is my document. So that, and that's what's so ridiculous about it. It gets back to they are not your documents to prove that you're good or bad or that you're right or wrong. They are used so you can benefit the security of the country. And if you use them in any way other than that to prove a point to a book, uh, a guy writing a book or someone from the New York Times, it's just, it's, it's the epitome of selfless, selfishness. And, and in the byproduct of a deeply, deeply malignant narcissist, because yeah. he's always been on this crusade to prove he's worthy, he's legitimate, he's valid, that he's important. And to your point about Millie, like, so that he could pull up a document that is so super secret that only five people in the world are allowed to see it, but he has it and he can flash it around. That's right. making him important. Right. Um, if you can indulge me to just touch base really quickly on Ukraine, because I know this is something you talk a lot about because of the loudest, angriest voices like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates saying, we need to get out of Ukraine, we can't support Ukraine, um, and the push from some on the Republican side of the aisle to get us to leave and to stop support, not leave, but stop supporting Ukraine. Do you think the support is on the wane at all in terms of Um, the United States position? I, I think there's a danger of that possibility but the the drum I'm going to beat, Joe, is that this this is a multi generational fight. This is the equivalent of the West versus Hitler or Mussolini or Tojo during World War II. This is something we can't fail at. We we cannot fail to continue to support this nation in a fight for their sovereignty and their security and for their criminal accountability against an individual who's committed thousands of war crimes against an entire population. Um, Are the Marjorie Taylor, am I concerned about Green or Boebert or Gates or any of the other, um, what term should I use? The other other extreme members of Congress, let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm concerned about them because they they are a mouthpiece and they say so many dumb things that confuse so many Americans that if you've never stood on the ground in Ukraine like I have, if you have never interacted with those who are part of that culture or who, like me, have read dozens of years worth of intelligence estimates about what Mr. Putin is interested in, And you know that this is a fight between, it's not just a fight between Russia and Ukraine, this is a fight between bad and 
are evil and good. Um, and if we don't stand up for good, then we've sort of lost our way. Now, is it, it's more than just, you know, the, the yellow ribbons and the, you know, we support Ukraine. There is, there's a significant uh, resource allocation that's involved in this. We have done a significant amount over the last year plus to help them. Uh, there are some who say, why didn't we start helping them 10 years ago or what? Well, you know, having been there 10 years ago, I know why we weren't contributing as much to Ukraine. They had a corrupt government. They had a semi-corrupt military and that didn't stop. And they will admit this when pressed, it didn't stop until about 2018, 2019 or so. And we have contributed at least seven, if not more times as much money to building an army for them than they did on their own for the three years prior to the war starting. You know, their, their normal budget was about uh, uh, 3%, well, it was less than, significantly less, about one seventh of what we've given them in terms of arms and support. So it's really hard to build an army and then build an air force for a country that's in a fight when people are looking over Congress's shoulders and saying, are you sure we wanna give them that much? Cause that's an awful lot of cash that is supposed to go toward our defense. Um, it's, it's gonna be contentious, I think in the coming months. But I think as long as we have the current administration in and Mr. Zelensky can, can, continues to do what he's doing, uh, we're, I, I believe that we're gonna see good results in the mid to long range future for Ukraine. I'll just put it that way. But having said all that, I'll, I'll caveat all that by saying, I know what an offensive operation against complex obstacles and a dug-in defense looks like, because I've seen it multiple times before in training and in operations, Ukraine has a tough fight and it's just now beginning. And when I mean just now, they've been fighting for a couple of weeks in the offensive, but they've now gotten to what the Russians called their zero line, which is where the main defenses are. It's really gonna start getting tough in the next couple of weeks for Ukraine. And we're, and we're already seeing that in, Articles on the New York Times yesterday, the Wall Street Journal this morning was saying, oh, man, it's going to be a tough haul for Ukraine. You know, they're having really difficult. Yeah, they are because they're fighting a hell of a battle. Uh, but we've got to stay with them on this. Right. I, I go back. The whole kind of brings everything full circle when you think about, you know, Trump's first impeachment and that, you know, he was willing to use our taxpayer funded military support for that country with Russia already occupying parts of their land and knocking on their door for further conflict, again, goes back to Donald Trump doesn't care about how his actions impact anyone else or how those actions would have impacted the Ukrainians as long as it serves himself. Right. That's what he was doing in that case um, to get himself hopefully reelected. But And at the on. end of his term too, if I can just add one thing to that, at the end of the term, well, throughout his term, the only the measurement he was using was what NATO countries were contributing. He didn't understand that at all. I mean, right. he didn't understand one iota of what he was talking about. But then at the end of his term, right before the insurrection, he gave orders to pull all U.S. forces out of NATO. Imagine where we would be right now if that wasn't contested by the Secretary of Defense. Did he say the same about Afghanistan? Do I? He did didn't. I? Yeah. So again, letting our men and women or the men, when men and women on the ground in those countries suffer for his vanity. Um, yeah. and, and you're not old enough to believe that or to remember this, but I think there was this thought like, I dream of Jeannie, you go like <laughs> that and suddenly all the forces are out and everything's <laughs> good. And, and it's just, it's, it's not the way the world works. <sighs> yeah, so much of so much of things, so many things related to Trump are fictional, imaginary. He's a fictional person who loves the military and loves this country, and he's devout and he's, you know, chaste and all the other things that have been manufactured about him, and that he supports our military when he was willing to imperil their lives very, very quickly to serve his own needs. But we can't obviously wrap up all that in minutes that we had. So I'm going to do rapid fire five random questions. 
Um, okay, are you ready? What's your fam favorite family recipe if you cook? Or if you don't cook, what's your favorite, like, favorite recipe that you have that you know? My wife, my wife makes a mean, I don't cook at all. I can barely okay. boil water, but my, <laughs> my wife makes a mean lasagna and an unbelievable chicken parmesan. Okay, so she's Italian. No, she's oh. French, German. I, we okay. just like Italian food. It's our favorite food. Okay, well, I applaud that. That is amazing. I okay. cannot make either one of those two things. Okay, what kind of music are you into? Oh, gosh, all kinds. Seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, except country western. No country western. No. Uh, no so offense. rock, pop, rap, classical, soul, you name it. I like it. Okay. Metal? Heavy metal? Do you like heavy metal? Uh, it, yeah. it depends. I'm with you on every, I'm, I'm, I'm same about country and I'm not a big metal fan. Okay. Do you have any pets? Used to, don't right now. Dog, oh, dog lover, dog lover. Okay. Sorry always, about Always you. black labs. I had a chocolate lab for 12 years. He was crazy. He was, yeah, but he was insane. Great um, okay. Last two. What is the, your favorite place you've ever traveled to? Oh man. <laughs> Well, I, I'll share this with you, Jojo. When I, I grew up, I, I came from a poor family and happened to, to have a great high school guidance counselor who suggested West Point to me. I had never, before I went to West Point, I had never been outside the city of St. Louis, which is where I grew up. Uh, so it was my first time on a plane, first time outside of Missouri. And since then, the Army has allowed me to go to, by last count, 119 different countries. Uh, so I guess my favorite, I'd say Germany. Germany is a wonderful country. Uh, Belgium, uh, Italy, uh, Croatia. Uh, I like Ukraine a lot. Ukraine's got a great culture and I hope they bounce back. Uh, I've been to the Far East. Not a, not a big traveler in the, in the East though. Uh, been to Japan, China, Korea, that's it. A little bit in South America. Those are good too, but I can't, I, I can't give a favorite. Have you been I to Lebanon? Like, That's my I dad's. Have. Oh, but my I dad, have. my dad is born, was born, actually was born in Damascus, Syria, but raised in Lebanon. We, no, I can't, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say something, but I realized I can't because it's sort of classified, but I. Oh, didn't you Lebanon. know that's okay now? Yeah, that's okay. Well, I'll just put the information in my bathroom. After you tell me. It was, it was in my sock drawer. I can't, I can't <laughs> talk about it, but I was in Lebanon several times. Yes. I have to go. Oh, uh, I have to visit. Okay. Last question. <clears throat> what is your favorite way to unwind? And I'm sure it is not to talk to me for way over the allotted time. <laughs> I, I'm a cyclist. I'm a bicyclist. Oh, okay. And I like to do that. I swam and played water polo in college, then started running until my knees got bad. And then cycling allows me to go out. I just came back this morning from a 25 mile or so it's good that's awesome I, I, yeah. I I'm a walker I I feel like if I don't get a walk in at least two miles three miles a day that I don't I I'm not like myself so I I get it to a certain degree but I okay. appreciate it yeah I thought one of the questions for sure was going to be because of my so to, my so-called notoriety and being able to wrap the entire soundtrack from Hamilton that you were going to either ask me that or what my favorite Broadway play is, which is now I'm I'm kind of conflicted between different plays. Well, now you have to do. This. Okay, so my favorites. Uh, I recently saw Hades Town. Okay. Oh, okay. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand Pearly Victoria is is coming back, and that's supposed to really be good. And that's starring the guy that was uh, played uh, Burr in Hamilton. I'm drawing a blank on his name. Um, can't remember his name. I'm sorry. But yeah, Hamilton was my favorite for about six years. And now I'm into Town. Well, I have a friend named Ashley. Shout out Ashley, who is a theater buff. I mean, to, that puts it mildly. She she has a TikTok where she talks all about going to the theater. And she is very connected to theater. Goes, I think, to something every night. So she'll love this conversation. Well, the, the, what, what got me turned on to it, truthfully, I'll go back to the story about West Point. When I flew to New York, uh, I bedded down in New York City the next day I was in first of July I was supposed to go to West Point to start my cadet life and they had a bunch of us cadets in a hotel in New York City and we got free tickets for a Broadway show and it was the first one I ever saw and it was just jaw-droppingly cool to watch this it? Uh, it was Porgy and Bess 
<laughs> ever since then, I've been a huge Broadway Broadway fan. I love that. I don't think many people would say, oh, well, your admission to West Point made you a huge theater buff, but you know, have to each his own and everyone, yep. we're all tapestry, right? Well, exactly. I, <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> I cannot wait to share this with my friend Ashley. She's going to think that's super cool. And okay. um, I cannot thank you enough for giving me, being so generous with your time today. I told you at the top, I had a lot to talk to you about. That was great. It was fun. We covered a lot of subjects, didn't we? We did. We really did. But um, I'll, we'll get to the wrapping next time. <laughs> okay. And and I promised not to curse on your show to some people. And they said, because I guess you got George Conway to say quite a few uh, obscenities. Is that true or no? I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know George now a couple of years. So I feel like I wouldn't even notice if he drops an F-bomb or two. <laughs> but um, I appreciate you saying you wouldn't swear. I only swore once. So that Why? for me... Oh, you did twice. twice. Yeah, but it's okay. Who's counting? It's okay. You can do that. It's your show. You can do anything. For me, that's kind of good. So, okay. I mean, in Jersey, that's those are periods, exclamation points, and commas to anything we're going to say. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of myself that it was only two. Thank you for, for saying you wouldn't swear. One more thing, since you just mentioned New Jersey, <laughs> your governor is uh, uh, kind of a friend of mine because he was the U.S. ambassador to Germany when I was the commander of U.S. forces. Did you know that, Governor Murphy? I, I did not know that about my governor. I love he my is, governor. He, he and his wife are really, really cool people. Really uh, cool people. I'm so proud to call him my governor. Um, yeah. I honestly... I, very, I love my state. I've lived abroad. I lived in Ireland for a while. I lived in New York. I've lived in Michigan. I've lived all over the place. And I came home because I love the Garden State. And I'm really proud to call him my governor. God knows we've had some doozies. So Yeah, yeah you have. <laughs> and, you have. And just a side note about West Point. My dad, again, love for the Army, love for all things military, would bring us to West Point for a football game every single fall. I think it was always the Army-Navy game, if I recall correctly. And somehow, I don't quite know how I really don't know how he would always get us access into the PX there on the on the base which looked like a freaking mall and so one of my memories from very young to adolescence was going to a football game West Point and going to the PX and being able to buy whatever perfume I wanted because it was duty-free <laughs> right. exactly exactly so, right. that's great Anyway, Good thank job. you so much for your, this conversation. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your insight and your voice and your advocacy. And thank you for sticking to the oath that you that you swore. It means, uh, it, to me, that is what is patriotic. <laughs> that well, is thanks. what it means to be American. Thanks, Joe. Keep doing good stuff too, okay? Love thank your you. stuff. I, I, I don't have a quiet setting, so it's not an option. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, bye. Take care. Thanks for joining me. And if you are listening to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe below. Are You Effing Kidding Me is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com.